Welcome to Season 3 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Daniel Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unbox, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 47, On the Rocks. Today, we are joined by Michael Petrie, a co-owner of Penture Games, as well as a co-designer of On the Rocks. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, of course, 100%. I remember seeing this game on Kickstarter, and I was like, you know what? Someday this person's going to be on my podcast, and today is that day. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, it's 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 an honor when people actually reach out to us to uh, sit down and talk about what we've been do- doing through our you know our life and design process. It's it's really cool. That's awesome. Well, hey, for anyone who doesn't know you, mind telling everyone a little about yourself and how you kind of got into the game design community? Well, as typically, like, I guess, like most designers, um, I just fell in love with board games. Uh, my wife and I just started playing board games probably in 2011 or more modern day board games. And then at that point, we've, we actually heard about Kickstarter and we we're like, oh, these are cool. So we started picking up games on Kickstarter at that time, like in 2015 or so. Um, I think the first game we purchased was uh, Grim Forest. And then from there, we ended up just joining the communities on Facebook and um, Instagram, things of that sort. And just started getting involved with the community itself. I'm not even thinking about getting into design. But my, myself, as a, my, my background's in architecture. And my wife's background's in graphic design. So we just thought I had an itch. Like, as a designer, you get that feel like, I just want to keep designing. I want to try something new. I want to try something new. Like, no matter what, like, you're always thinking about something new. And we ended up falling in love with board games. And we're like, you know what? Let's, let's try to create our own board game. And we did. Our first board, our first board game, that which we sold, was like a gladiator-type game, which was a... Uh, um, we just rolled the dice, and, and uh, it was like a, a time-based game. Um, but that time we actually had to shell that one at the moment because um, it was really wasn't going anywhere. But then we got the inspiration for On the Rocks and we took it from there and you know, we're, we're at where we're at right now because of it. That's so awesome. So for anyone who hasn't played the game, would you mind describing how to play On the Rocks? Well, On the Rocks, it's a it's a pretty it's a gateway game um, where you're playing you're playing as bartenders and, um, you know, no drinking involved there. So it's it is a family game, um, but the theme is a little bit more for adults, of course. Um, but what you're doing is you're rolling the dice based on that amount, how many marbles you'll be drafting out of the bag. Um, you'll be using those marbles or ingredients, um, to actually complete your drink orders. So everybody will have three or four drinks each, each, each round, and they will be able to assign those marbles to your player board, matching up what's on your drink. Um, when you complete that drink order, um, you will gain the value that's on that card and also receive tip cards. And those tip cards also have a, a benefit that you could use if you decide to use that card, though. It's something that you have to discard and use that benef- that that card to benefit you or you could affect another player. So it's a little bit of take that to the game. But what you're doing is you're dropping these marbles in like a, the, they're called jigger bowls. You drop them in a, a pat- a, like circular pattern. You'll select one of those and add those to your, your board. Um, and then once you complete your first round of drinks, um, you'll move those off to the side, select, you know, three or four more rounds, of, uh, three or more drinks again on the next round, and you play three rounds of that. Um, and then at the end of those three rounds, uh, then those three rounds, whoever has the highest value at the end of the game is the winner. Gotcha. And did you always intend to use like marbles as part of the uh, mechanics? Yeah, uh, marbles were always a part of the since the since we were inspired creating the game marbles. We always just love the way they looked. We loved the, the tactile feel of them. We always want to make sure this was something we want to bring into the game. 
Um, and so, yeah, they were always there from the very beginning. The mechanic originally was just drafting the, the marble right out of the bag and whatever you got went right to your board. So at that time, we saw that was something that we wanted to avoid because <laughs> we saw how boarding was. And that's when we moved on to adding the bowls to the game. And that brought a lot more of the mechanic and the gameplay once we added those bowls to the, the, the gameplay. Yeah, I know I liked when I got my copy, the silicon. It was really fun to kind of play with it and stretch it and stuff. The components yeah, those... were very deluxe in this game. I loved it. Oh, I appreciate it. We we wanted to make sure that we were able to get products that didn't need manufacturing or tooling at all. So those are actually off-the-shelf products that are they're, they're kitchen tools, pretty much. They're called pinch cups that people use for kit cooking. And we saw that you could use them. We want to make sure that um, we want to make sure that we didn't have like such a loud noise when we dropped the marbles in. So that was one of the reasons we want to make sure we used silicone because originally we had some plastic cups. And but the, just the clanking bit by bit, it, it personally annoyed me just continue hearing that noise, that clink, 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 clink. So we want to make sure that having the silicone cups would avoid just that loud noise all the time when you're just trying to play a simple round. Oh, for sure. And could you explain a little bit more about like the tips and how that works? Yeah. Um, so the tip cards, again, you gain them from when you when you complete one of your drinks. And the tip cards, um, again, they will benefit you. They may be allowed. They will allow you to actually um, gain additional marbles. Um, they'll allow you to affect other players by causing them to spill some of their drinks. Um, so there's a couple of different varieties of tip cards that would benefit you in certain ways um yeah so there was one that we have the we have this card which is the uh, shot shots would allow you to affect another player by forcing them to only be able to take two ingredients out of that bowl during that round and then whatever's in that bowl the remaining amount would go into um into into the bag and then from there there are other ones that would again would allow you to actually randomly select the marbles out of the bag for yourself you would be able to you'll roll for like it'll be one to six so you'll be able to select one or six marbles based off of what the dice roll is. Yeah, there's just a variety of different um, the tip cards that will definitely help you out um, in the game. Um, but it's one of the things that you want to choose where how you want to use it to benefit yourself. You, again, if you use too many of them, it's going to affect you or you may end up losing the game in the long run. Because, again, it's not about who finishes the game first. It's about who has the most money at the end of, end of the night. So who completed with the most tips. And it's, it's a give or take of how you want to manage your board and your gameplay throughout the entire process. Um, so if you see that you're, you're spending too many tip cards, you may end up losing the game. So you just want to see when should you use them, when you shouldn't. Um, but you definitely want to try to hold on to those tip cards as much as possible uh, throughout your entire gameplay. Very cool. And so what kind of changes did you make while playtesting developing? Yeah, so there were plenty of changes. So originally the game actually, so, so right now the end, the the final version has four four types of drinks. So you have the old-fashioned, the cocktail, the martini, and the highball, the, the four different types of drinks. Um, so originally we had a fifth drink, um, but we ended up seeing that having an additional drink on, on the board extended the gameplay by a lot. Um, and so that was one of the things we want, and we wanted, we rolled to pull it out at that time because it was just, the gameplay was lasting almost two hours at that time. And this was only for like three people. So we were trying to avoid that. Um, we felt that a gateway game being that long wouldn't, wouldn't sell and that it would get a lot of backlash. And so we decided to reduce the size of the drinks, which also helped us allow us to reduce the size of the board since it's a folding board. We were able to get it into the insert. Um, a little bit easier than we would have um, a larger board, um, which would have been needed if we would have stayed with the five drinks. Um, some other mechan- uh, other parts 
Um, I told you before, previously, uh, we added the, the Jigger Bowls. That was pretty much the only change in the design itself, well, well, material-wise. Yeah. Um, Gameplay-wise, we have marbles that are called the, the spill marbles. Um, the sort of these are the black marbles, and if you were to select one, you would actually have to go, um, select from a the spill deck, and based off of what you select, um, you may be spilling one or two marbles off your player board. And and in most cases, you may not even spill any. Um, but originally, whoever selected that marble from the bag will automatically get it. And then it just it felt like it hindered people too much to buy doing that. Um, but then we figured out like, hey, let's add it. Let's add it to the the bowls and allow players to strategically put it in there. And if you decide that you want it, you know you're taking that risk because usually a bowl that has uh, the spill marbles in it filled up pretty well. Um, but the thing is, is that once you take that bowl. Um, and you're done placing marbles, whatever you have remaining is going to go back into the bag, and then you select from the, the spill deck. So you know you're not going to get everything in the bowl, but it gives you opportunity as it's pretty much like as a catch-up mechanic to try to catch up to somebody else, but you're taking a risk by either trying to advance that far ahead or catch up to somebody by taking a bowl that has a spill marble in it. Gotcha. So when you're filling up these bowls with the marbles from the bag, are you able to choose, like, as you're pulling it, which bowl it's going into? Or are you going in, like, a clockwise one by one? Like, is there a strategy where you do get to select to put the spill in a specific spot or a color in a specific spot knowing that a player needs it or doesn't want it? Correct. It's it's all strategic. So you do want to think about the marbles that you pull out out of the bag. So what's going to happen is you'll you just say you have eight of them. You're going to see which bowl you pretty much already know which ones you want, uh, what bowl you want for yourself. So you're going to be placing a marble based off of wherever the last player left the empty bowl. It'll start from that empty bowl and it'll start working your way around in a circular pattern. And then if you see another bowl that's very good and you have a spill marble, you may want to drop that spill marble in there. But you always want to make sure that you, you're you're seating the bowl that you want that's going to benefit you the most, and then select that bowl afterwards after you after you make all the placement of all the marbles. Gotcha. So it's not a like you split, I choose. It's I'm splitting and I get to choose first. Correct, and that's how it is. There's other individuals where I've read where individuals do like to play the game a little bit faster. The gameplay will be a little bit faster if you just drop them randomly and select the bowls, but. If you do it that way, again, you may not win the game because, again, it's all about trying to benefit yourself in the long run. Sure. And how did playtesting go for this game? Well, um, I mean, we playtesting lasted for a little over a year. Um, went to multiple unpubs um, in our local area in Philadelphia. They would, we would meet up um, at a at a game store, a local game store, and um, and every I think every two weeks or so, and play tested every two weeks there. I would be at Pax Unplugged and go to the unpub rooms there um, in Philadelphia and in Boston. I would I would travel up to Boston. I got a lot of play testing there, and then just local game game groups would um, help play test this game. But I mean, without without all their valuable feedback, the game wouldn't have, wouldn't be where it's at right now. So I mean, play testing and getting as much feedback as you can. It's it's the only way to make your game as good as you want it to be. Um, if you keep it at home and just play with local, you know, with your family members or just you know people who you're very close to, they may not give you the hard feedback that your game really needs. Um, so going out there and finding individuals who don't know you and aren't ever afraid to tell you how they feel about your game, it's the only way to make your game evolve. And I, it's very beneficial. I mean, sometimes as a designer, yes, it's hard to hear critiques from people in a game that you work so hard on. But those critiques is 
is what allows you to break through those barriers and those design blocks that you're you're having to and seeing like okay this really isn't working and the more you play it you'll see you'll find different things all the time that a card okay this card's not working properly let's redesign it let's you'll find that there's some spelling errors sometimes that like you may have looked at the rule book multiple times or just the card so many times and Nobody noticed it after a hundred plays, and you st- and that right before you're about to print the game, you're like somebody sees something, and you're like, wow, I can't believe all of us missed that. Because sometimes your mind just sees what it wants to see, and, you- and nobody notices it. So yeah, the play testing helps you with the design, of course, helping finding a- any errors, and then even your verbiage of how things are written. Some people may not understand how cards work, and in your mind, it may feel, yeah, oh, this is perfect. This explains everything. But another person may not understand it. So getting that type of feedback only helps. I completely agree. And I'm glad that you use Unpub so much since I'm on the board for it. It's nice to see that the free time I spend is good and being used properly. Oh, Unpub is amazing. And anybody who has never used Unpub, definitely do it. I mean, I never had opportunity to go down to Baltimore yet to the, to the major convention that you guys have. Yeah, to Unpub Prime. Yeah. Yeah, but it's 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 an amazing it's amazing for any designer um, just to have so many people there, so many design, other designers to give you tips and then even just, just, just having people who are willing to just give you their free time to play your game and give you feedback because there's so many people out there just to the normal game player who wants to be involved in our community. And I never would have thought of it, but yeah, there's just, it's, it's amazing how many people want you to succeed. I 100% agree. It is awesome. And it's also great because it's not just going to be game designers. When you go to like Unpub, a lot of times it's just like game enthusiasts that are walking by and it's like, Oh, I'm going to play test this. Cause who knows? I might be play testing like the next wingspan or something. And it's kind of cool. I also, I mean, I love playtesting with designers, but I like doing a nice mixture because playing with your audience is also just as important as playing with other people that are making games. Yeah, 100%. And if you ever decide to go into Kickstarter, some of these individuals are your first backers because they're they're part of the process with you. So you end up kind of gaining a fan base by even being a part of these, you know, these social events. Um, so yeah, as a designer, and if it's somebody that wants to start their own publishing company and want to get out there, get your game out there, sit down at the table with the strangers, and you become friends with most of these individuals. Like I, I can't tell you how many friends I actually made just being at the unpub rooms over these couple of years. That's so cool. And so, did you always intend to self-publish and start up a publishing company, or was that something where you had pitched it? Like, how did that happen? No, from the beginning, we always wanted to start our own company. Um, and we're entrepreneurs and we're, we want to try something for ourselves. And eventually we may start pitching some games that we may feel like may not be a part of our brand, but we designed a game and we loved it. And we may pitch it to somebody else. Like maybe the game is just too too little for like children because we would like to have some kid games out. But we're not sure how that will affect our brand by just having uh, children games in our in our catalog. Yeah, and our drinking. So, yeah. So, I mean, if we were to do anything like that, we will have to start an, another company and just have a different branch of Pentry Games, uh, maybe like Sapling Games or something like that. But we would have to have a different ca- uh, category just for children games. It just it will feel weird to have that at the thought theme. And then all of a sudden we come out with a kid's game that's four and, pl- you know, four plus or something. So that would be one of the things. So, you know, if we ever do come out with kids games, we would definitely make sure we pitch that to somebody else and see if, it, see if they would be willing to pick it up. Definitely. 
definitely makes sense. Honestly, it's really important to stick to your branding because I feel like a lot of people confuse their audience by having games just all over the place. I would love, um, I'm the person that's willing to try something new all the time. But yeah, if we, I feel that if we, if we are going to be successful in this business, we have to try to stick to what our fans want. So we'll see what happens. I love that for you. And as far as getting the game out, I remember there being two Kickstarters. Mind going through all that process? So the first Kickstarter, um, the campaign was going well. Um, Unfortunately, we ran, and I think this happens to a lot of people, um, we ran head on with Gen Con and a bunch of other major campaigns that came out during the same time as we were coming out. And even after I did all my research um, and given... I guess I was stubborn. It's a lesson learned. Even though I read everything that says you shouldn't launch in July or August um, heading into Gen Con because, you know, if, unless you're a large a large company, which we weren't, but we ran into like CMON. They had they came out with a campaign during that month and, and so many other people. And I was it, it was just hard to get noticed, especially as a first time designer. It, it was hard to, to, to be seen. We did well. We missed it by $2,000. Um, we may have been able to make it, but I just didn't. I didn't feel that we would have made enough to make the game the way we wanted at that point. Um, and at that point, we were going to go with the glass marbles, things of that sort. So the game just was going to cost too much to make. And so we just pulled the plug on it and we just sat back and we looked at it. Um, we talked to the people, our backers at that time, and see what we could do. So at that point, we, en- we ended up moving away from the glass marbles because they are much heavier than the, the plastic marbles we have now. And then luckily, we were able to find the marbles that actually have the the bubbles inside, which we, which is in the game right now, um, yeah. and those are those are much lighter, and those are actually cheaper than the glass marbles as well. Um, so that bef- benefited us, and just the aesthetic and look of it, and the way it goes along with the game, uh, it was it was definitely more beneficial for the game design and the the final aesthetic of the game that that you see today. There was a few things that we were going to add into it. We wanted to originally we were going to have a, a menu, like a drinking menu, not a menu, a, a recipe book. That was going to be something we're going to surprise everyone with and eventually have it. But then we pulled that out because we knew that was going to be too expensive just to pretty much give that as a gift um, during that first campaign. But during the second campaign, it became a stretch goal, but we never got an opportunity to get to it. But luckily, we were still able to succeed. We raised about $5,000 more than what our goal was at that point. It's beneficial. I mean, if you you feel that like you're going to just hit your goal at the time, it's something you may want to think about because finding out later on that, you know, the prices may be different. Um, once you get your final designs totally done, and you get that final estimate of how much the game's going to cost to make. At that point, you may want to you may want to rethink it. Um, and then, especially, you want to have that extra extra cash just in cases because right after we finished our game, shortly after the pandemic hit, and then price prices started skyrocketing, and there was delays and shipping calls. So I was glad that we had that little bit of extra money at the end to help out with the shipping cost, the shipping increase that we ended up getting. It, it definitely benefited us to relaunch it and come back a couple months later. And so then how did your partnership with 25th Century Games end up happening? Well, as we were talking about before, um, on Pub uh, Origins uh, that year in 2019, I was lucky to really get to know Chad, uh, Chad Elkins at that time. And um, after the campaign launch, uh, Chad, Chad got in contact with me and it was just like he, he expressed interest that he would will want to be a sales, create a sales partnership where you'll help me get into distribution here in the United States. It benefited us. It allowed us to get the games on, you know, all multiple local game stores and online and things that we wouldn't have been able to do with, you know, just as a small label. So being able to 
create a partnership with uh, another publisher who already has some connections into the business. And then being able just to learn from Chad um, has been so beneficial. And that's the one thing I, I recommend for any designer is just get out there and start chatting to these other designers. Even if it's online, there's multiple multiple other publisher owners. I've chatted with them on Facebook first. And if if you, I think, did you ever receive the promo pack? I'm not sure if you did or didn't. But uh, yeah. our promo pack is based on a lot of a lot of the publishers that we became really good friends with over the years. And we and that's the reason we designed these cards, um, because of these individuals that, you know, who have been so important to us and helped teach us and help lead us down the path and, you know, learn from their mistakes and try, you know, and try to put us down the right path without making too many mistakes. And even though we still may have had some, especially the I'll get to another one, another story in a second, but just reach out to these different publishers and just chat with them and get their feedback and what they think about your campaign. And they're willing to give you, you know, those extra few minutes just to help you along. Um, so don't be afraid to talk to people. Um, and that's the only way you're going to be able to get noticed in the industry really is by becoming friends with everybody. Um, but so true. The, the story I did want to say is that I still made a mistake because when we were creating this, finishing up creating the second campaign, I accidentally launched a campaign by mistake a day early and I we were going to get ready to send it out and let everybody know okay our game's going to launch tomorrow we're getting you know we're getting the link to try to get people to follow follow us and I don't know how I read it I read it wrong I, I launched a campaign and we went into we went into like hyper mode because the page wasn't completed yet. Christina's trying to get things done onto the page. It, it, uh, like we already were approved by Kickstarter at the time, but we were still just trying to fine tune a few things. But man, what it, it was crazy. So if you would have saw the page in the first minute or two, it was so different like an hour later. That does not sound fun at all. But hey, it worked out. That's this is good. Happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> it was, but it was it was a it was a funny mistake. And I told our backers, even in the first in the first comments that I wrote, um the I was just like, I accidentally launched our campaign, but hey, let's go with it. <laughs> and that was it. And everybody laughed about it. It was it was a funny experience, but my wife wasn't happy with it because she still has some more work to do. But yeah, but it worked out. It worked out. Yeah. No, I believe it. Honestly, the artwork that she did for the game is gorgeous. Like the oh look of it is just so pretty. Christina's amazing. I like I can't I love other graphic designers work, but I love my wife's work. She just does such a good job and she puts so much effort into every one of those cards. All the cards, the promo cards were and the, these were backers who were willing to pay it, who were paid, I think it was $150 for the promo card. Um, because Christina will actually do a custom card specifically for that individual. So each one of those cards took about four to five days for her to complete. So, and there wow. were, I think, 40 cards in that pack. So um, <laughs> right there is 160 days of her time just to complete just the promo cards um, that, that everybody ended up getting who backed us on Kickstarter. And yeah, her, I love her style. She, she has this vector combination with life, real life, uh, and just is able to merge them together and just give you a whole different feel. And yeah, she does, she does an amazing job and I'm very proud of her. I'm proud of all the work she's been doing. She's been working with other publishers the last couple, the last year or so. So she's been, she's been doing good things and I'm very proud of what she's been able to do. Oh, that's so amazing. Yay. I love that. <laughs> that's awesome. So will I be seeing some other uh, games with her graph? graphics and illustration style yeah you will you definitely will sweet love that so as far as this game goes though like on the rocks do you have yeah. an idea of like how long it took from the inspiration of the initial game concept to the publication like once everyone got in their hands after the second kickstarter well the the, the initial concept when we came up with the idea for the game was around 2000 and 
2017 when we started working on it. Um, then we started getting, then we really started putting our graphic design, Christina started doing the graphic design work for it. Um, so in 2019, we started getting the full feel of it. So about a year and a half at that point for just getting the game to where it was at, to start showing to the public and getting a good feel for how the game was going to look. Um, and then 2019, we launched a Kickstarter. 2020 hit, so that delayed the game by multiple months. It was like six to eight months the game was delayed by to getting it out to the to our backers because the the, the the factory shut down for multiple months. And then they were working at it with the skeleton crew. And then we were able to get the game out to everybody's hands in 2021. Um, it started, I think it was August 2021 is when we were actually getting the game out to everybody in their hand. So pretty much from 2017 to 2021, summer of 2021. So yeah, five years or so. Wow. That is great and impressive. I'm sure you were so excited to get that final copy and start seeing people like rating and talking about receiving it. Yeah, it was it was it was exciting and scary because I was afraid I was afraid that it, you know, it's something you work so hard on as a designer yourself, you don't want us to get bashed at all. You're afraid uh you know of the negativity. But you know, there's so, there was so much more there was so much more good in there that we were so it made us so proud of our game because we have we we have fans we have a lot of people who love our game. Given I see you know I see BGG I do see some of the bad scores, but hey that is it's, it is what it is. I brush it off, and I always have to remember that your game isn't gonna your game isn't for everybody, and. Any other designer, same situations that happen. Your game isn't going to be for everybody. You can't make everybody happy. You're always going to have a few individuals who are going to dislike your game because it may be too simple for them. They just may not like the theme, whatever it is. Everybody has their own flavor. And, you know, you find individuals who have the same type of flavor as you and just continue to make them happy. And then hopefully later on, these you know other designs of yours, maybe those individuals who didn't like your game originally may like your newer design. So don't let you know, don't let negativity affect you. Continue designing, keep pushing out what you could do. You know how talented you are, and just keep moving forward. I think that's great advice. You know, it's funny because I was going to ask, like, what is one piece of advice you'd offer to designers? Is that what it would be, or do you have something else you'd like to share? Oh no, the one thing is just don't quit. Is just keep moving forward. It may look bad sometimes. Some people, like I said, some people may hate hate the hate the work. But hey, it is what it is. Just keep doing your job, keep moving forward, and enjoy it. Do your best to love the hobby. Don't let other people affect the way you love your hobby. Very true. And so, as far as on the rocks goes, if you haven't already shared, but what was your favorite and your least favorite experience in the journey of the design? The thing I hated the most was just the wait. You know, you're you're waiting for the factory, you're waiting for approvals, and then you know, then there's times that there's there there may be times that you have nothing to give the backers, so you just follow up with them to make sure, like, hey, I'm still here. Um, we're waiting on some information, and it's just sometimes you you want to give everybody something good every single month. And there was that time where there was a few times or a few months where there was no information coming back or nothing really changed. Um, you just let them know that you're still here. Things are still being worked on. And that's the one thing, like the game process takes its time. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, it does its own thing and you can't force it and you just need to be patient. Yeah. That was, so that was one of the things It's just like, sometimes you just want to make everybody happy, but not all the time. You're not going to be able to make everybody happy in your own community because yeah. they want that feedback part. So that's just the one thing. So like just that, that waiting periods kind of is, is stressful at some points, sure. um, especially when your backers are looking for feedback. The thing I love the most is just the friendships you make. Uh, I, I was amazed how, how amazing these backers were, how excited they were to see the game. 
I, I remember seeing the very first YouTube video and people loved it. The seeing it show up on um, Facebook pages, um, people talking about it and just discussing your game. It's it, it's it's an amazing feeling for putting so much effort into it and then seeing people actually love your game. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just. <laughs> I can't compare it to having a kid because my son, my children are his favorite, but it comes close yeah. to almost having a child. I, I definitely understand what you mean, though. That's so great. Um, and do you have other projects that like fans should be looking out for that's coming out through your Pentry Games or through another publisher? Oh well, for our game right now, we're working on a card-based game. Um, it's it's a card game called Pirates Bluff. Uh, graphic design's almost done. That was delayed because we ended up having, you know, another child. So, you know, in our situations, our family always comes first. And then when we're ready to continue moving on, we will. Um, so the graphic design's almost done with that one. Um, but it's a game where everybody gets uh, seven cards um, for their, their pirate crew. And then you're you're bidding on the treasure that you want to fight for. And whoever has the highest value would win. But individuals who have the same numbers knock each other out for that fight and then whoever has the next highest number will win that treasure um but the individuals who knock each other out those cards are out of their hands for the rest of the game and so you're playing this game and you're seeing people's pirates just continue getting knocked out of the game so eventually when you get down to your very last card the game the first person gets the last card the game would end at that point and then you just you end up counting the values of their treasure at that point so it's just a quick family card game um which is a lot of fun especially when you're hoping that somebody's not going to play the same card as you but it always happens but it's it's a very fun little card game that we've been working working on and it's got a lot of good feedback and it's a quick game it takes about five to ten minutes yes yeah, it's, it's we got we got a lot of good feedback on it so um, recently so i i'm really enjoying that that process with this game um and another game we're working on is called forbidden gates and it's a, almost like a dungeon crawl dice placement game um so that one's still in development at the moment um but it's 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 a lot of fun i'm getting a lot of good feedback with that one at play testing that's awesome well i'm excited to see them when they're all finished i'm sure they're gonna look gorgeous because i assume your wife is the one doing the art <laughs> well she'll be definitely doing the graphic design uh the one thing that w- we both don't have the skill is the illustration so like if we're trying to get illustrated characters, we definitely have to go out and hire an individual to help us out with that. Gotcha. Well, good luck finding that right person then. Oh, thank you. All right. And then for my last question of the podcast, I would like to know if magically you are now the designer of any game, what game would you choose to be the designer of? Role player. Um, I'm a hardcore D&D guy now. I've been playing D&D for about four years and I love every moment of it. And just being able to create a game out of... Creating characters is genius to me, and I I really wish I something I could have thought of. And I love dice placement, and that game is a game I wish I would have been able to design. But you know, it's a game designed by Keith Ontega and Thunderworks Games, and yeah, he's. He knocked it out of the park with that game, and I love that. It's one of my favorite games, and it's always going to be in my collection. It's honestly been on my list to play for so long because so many people have said how great it is. So thank you for adding another <laughs> another check in the list of games that I need to play. If you're, if you're going to be at PAX Unplugged, I'll, I'll make sure I bring my copy and we can play it. Ooh, I'm down, and I will be there. So that's actually quite possible. Granted, awesome. I tend to be working. I'll be working the tabletop gamer booth. <laughs> well, we'll be at the Pentry Game booth. So yeah, so I'll see you. Sweet. 
sweet. I'll say hi for sure. All right. Well, then thank you for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unbox, Inspiration to Publication, episode 47 on the rocks. And thanks again, Michael, for joining us. For anyone trying to find you online, where can you be reached? Um, our website is pentrygames.com and then on Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, all that's Pentry Games as well. So you'll find, be able to find us on all those platforms. And I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds. If you're looking to find me on social media, you can check out my Instagram and my Twitter under the username TokenGamer, and that's spelled G-A-Y-M-E-R, as well as my website, dmrcreativegroup.com. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.